Somebody praise him for what he's done tonight. Somebody praise him for what he's done tonight. Praise him for what he's done. While your hands are lifted, prepare your hearts for the word of the Lord tonight. Come on, lift your voice and give God your best praise. Oh, let's worship him. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we bless your name in this house. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Just a little while before church, we got a text message. And uh, great, great man of God. Hallelujah. Brother, Brother Jack Carricker, who, hallelujah, is a name that you may not know. But he's, he's kind of important in the spiritual lineage of this church because Brother Jack Carricker prayed Bishop Elder through to the Holy Ghost and Bishop Elder prayed Pastor Williams through to the Holy Ghost. Amen. And he was in church this morning and he fell over in the pew and he had no pulse. And they said he was dead. And I texted Brother Character a little while ago, and he said, this is a testimony to the tenacity of my father. From midnight last night until 6 or 7 o'clock this morning, his heart was racing out of control. And when he got up, he told his wife, let's go to church. And Brother Character told me in the text, he said, my dad had stayed home, he'd probably be dead. But the church gathered around, started praying. And tonight, he's alive, he's in the hospital, but his heart is beating. I'm telling you, and I'm not trying to be judgmental or anything, but if I were you, I would do whatever I had to do to get to the house of the Lord. There's plenty of room up there. Put on your mask. Bring your hand sanitizer. But I would give myself to the house of God. And I would. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, we serve a miracle working God. And when you will get yourself to the house of God, God will begin to work in your life. Amen. Hallelujah. I am thankful for the goodness of Jesus. Amen. Give honor to your great pastor and his family. Love them very much. Hallelujah. We're going to go to the word of the Lord in Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Hallelujah. One of my absolutely favorite men of God in the Bible is Nehemiah. Uh, somewhat unknown, about the most people know about him is that he was the shortest man in the Bible. Nehemiah. 
All right, that's the last joke for tonight. But Nehemiah was a great man of God. He was a great leader. And God used him to accomplish some incredible things. Verse 1, now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Gershom the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work. Amen. Does anybody believe that tonight? That we in this house are doing a great work. Hallelujah. So that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them in the same manner. So I want to preach to us for a little while tonight about a great work. We're doing a great work, church. We are doing a great work. Amen. Does everybody believe that? Let's lift up our hands and begin to thank him. Thank you, Lord, for placing us in your kingdom at this hour and this time. Thank you for the assignment that you've given us, the work to be performed. Hallelujah. Strengthen our hands, oh God, to do the work. Name of Jesus. You may be seated for just a few moments. Brother Eric, can you grab those two items for me from the back there? Praise God. It's a great work. A great work. Now I know some of you may have never seen one of those before. And some of you may have never seen one of them before. They've got some significance. I'll give you a little bit background before I get to my two objects here. Nehemiah uh, was a man who appeared on the scene in the scriptures and uh, just kind of erupted onto the scene, really. He is in the house of the king Artaxerxes, he is the cupbearer to the king, and a lot of times when we read that word cupbearer, we think uh, just kind of a menial servant, but he was not just a lowly house servant in the uh, cleaning dishes somewhere down in the, the kitchens. He was literally the one who, who bore the cup of the king, and he served the king in person. And I promise you, you don't get to that point in life without having proven yourself to be reliable, to be trustworthy, and to be a man of integrity. Amen? And so Nehemiah appears, and he is there serving Artaxerxes, and he has some relatives who visit him from Jerusalem. And just to kind of put it into a context for you, 
Uh, after the age of the kings, Jerusalem was destroyed. The children of Israel went into captivity, and the, the city was destroyed literally to the ground. The temple of God was destroyed by the heathens. And so all of this uh, destruction has been wrought, and it's been almost 100 years. And in, in, in this rebuilding process, God sends Ezra, and Ezra is the priest, and he rebuilds the house of the Lord, and he sets to right the, the worship of the house of God and the sacrifices and all of the process that went on inside the house of God. And then we go on a few more years. And Nehemiah's relatives come to visit, and he asks them how the city is. And he said that the walls are still tore down. The city is still in ruins. There are no gates to protect the people. There is, there is no structure in place to protect the house of God. And so we find in chapter 1 that Nehemiah becomes distraught, and he begins to weep and to pray, and to fast. Now, if you just read the passage, because Nehemiah is real succinct, he just jumps from one thing to the next, you would think maybe he did that for a day or two. But if you look at the, the Hebrew months that are noted in the book of Nehemiah, he did this for four months of prayer, fasting, and weeping before God for his people. And at the end of that four months, he was called in before King Artaxerxes. And uh, it was a capital punishment to appear before the king unhappy. You can't just show up in front of the king with a sad grouch on, depressed and repressed about life. The expectation was that you would show up in front of the king with a smile on, that you would come in, in, in expectation of making his life better, right? And so Nehemiah appears before the king, and he is struggling with this burden, and he is, all of a sudden, he's a little fearful because he knows what's going on inside of his spirit is going to show up on his face, and the king is going to know, man, something's going on with Nehemiah. And uh, the king asked Nehemiah, what's wrong, Nehemiah? You've never been sad in my presence before. And I, I love that part of the passage in chapter 2, and Nehemiah just quickly says a prayer, oh God, <laughs> give me favor. And so because of his passion, because of his prayers, because of his dedicated fasting, because of his consecration to his God, God gives him that favor before the king. And the king gives him every resource he needs to go and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. He gives him the finances. Boy, that got quiet. Anybody look at your checking account today? We got a great work to do. But sometimes our checking accounts don't look like we're ready to do a great work. Can anybody be honest? 
But when you come before the king, he's going to give you the resources you need to do the work. Amen. Not only is he going to give you the resources to do it, he's going to give you the protection that you need. Nehemiah had a long 600-mile journey over land, and the king Artaxerxes gave him soldiers and captains of guards and men at arms to protect him on his journey to Jerusalem. And so he begins on this, this uh, adventure, really, to fulfill the call of God in his life. What a daunting task. I was looking around this, this beautiful building that God's given you guys, and I thought, man, this is a big building. And I also realized it's not the only building on this campus. And as daunting as it would be to build this building, Nehemiah was tasked with rebuilding the walls around an entire city. Now, I don't know. I've never been to Jerusalem. I hope to go sometime. But I've seen some old stone walls of some old cities in some other places, and they didn't have backhoes. They didn't have steam shovels. They didn't have cranes. They didn't have dynamite. They didn't have any kind of power tools, jackhammers, all of the things that make this kind of work easier. You know what they had? <laughs> they had hands and biceps and backs to do the work. And hopefully a few brain cells. But there were, I believe, a few factors in Nehemiah's eventual success. These are the factors that God put into his life. The first one was favor. Church, we, we are not going anywhere without the favor of God <laughs> resting on us as a people. The other factor was Nehemiah's fortitude. You read through the rest of the story of Nehemiah, we're going to hit some points here in a minute, but he showed nothing but fortitude through the entire situation. People try to intimidate him, he just kept working. People try to distract him from the work with all the news and junk going on, and he just kept working. We're doing a great work. We're doing a great work. There's people in this country doing important work right now, but there is nothing going on in this country that's as important as what goes on in the house of God by the people of God. Amen. And the work that we do when we go out of this house for the kingdom of God, it is the most important thing going on not just in Fort Myers, but in the United States. This is it. And the last thing, factor that Nehemiah had is he was willing to fight. Uh, 
they call it flight or fight. It's that instinct when uh, you are pushed in a corner or you are uh, suddenly placed in a dangerous situation. And the adrenaline begins to pump through your body. And most people are wired one of two ways. To fly <laughs> or to fight. <laughs> now, I don't know what situation you fall into, but Nehemiah did not seem to have any kind of flight instinct in his body. And so he arrives in Jerusalem, and he begins the work, and he organizes the people, and uh, he just uh, begins to plow through. And chapter 4, verse 6 says, so, we built, so built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. Why was this possible? Because the people had a mind to work. Amen. And this is where Sanballat and Tobiah begin to enter the scene. And I knew what I was going to preach tonight. And I was just cracking up when Pastor Williams was talking this morning at the end of service about how when the devil is talking to you, there ain't really anything he can do. And when you read through the story of Nehemiah, Sanballat and Tobiah do a lot of talking. They write a lot of letters to the city, the county, the state, the king, and they cause a lot of trouble, and, they, and they, they run their mouths. But when push comes to shove, we actually never see them get in a fight with Nehemiah. They can never put their hands on him. And it's because of the things we talked about, his fortitude and his character. Verse 17 of chapter 4, they which build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with, <clears throat> excuse me, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side. And so builded, and he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said unto the nobles and the rulers and the rest of the people, The work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall one from another. And so he created this plan where he armed them and gave them the equipment they needed and said, If you hear this trumpet, gather together because we're about to be in a fight. But in all of that preparation... We never see where the trumpet was blown. How many of you ever encountered a bully in school? Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise your hand for this next one. How many of you were the bully? I heard something about a bully in the award ceremony. There's really only one solution to a bully. Anybody know what it is? 
The only solution to a bully is to fight back. You can never back down enough. You can never acquiesce enough to satisfy the bully. At some point, uh, either you're just going to get pounded into the pavement or you are going to fight back. Now, I'm not uh, advocating violence, physical violence on people. I'm talking about spiritual warfare tonight. Amen. And what Pastor talked about this morning, and you hear those voices just nattering in your ear, just running you down, making you feel like you can't do anything in the kingdom of God. How long are you going to listen to those voices before you decide, you know what, I'm just sick of hearing your mouth. I'm just tired of listening to all of this garbage. And so Nehemiah uh, equipped his people with weapons. But in chapter 4, he also gave them something else. This is a mason's trowel. Now, uh, for all of you with those real soft hands, praise God. I believe the scripture where it says that it's good for a young man to work in his youth. Yeah. That don't mean you have to become a craftsman or a tradesman or anything like that, but a young man should sweat sometime. He should get a few blisters on his hands. He should go to bed some nights with a sore back because he worked. That's good. Amen. Because there's times in the kingdom of God when the work that needs to be done is someone to just roll up their sleeves, amen, put on their tool belt and go to work to get something done. So he gave them a trowel to set those stones. Now, I can honestly say my least favorite type of work is to work with mortar or concrete. I hate it. Hard work. And then on top of building this wall and moving this mortar and heaving these stones, you got Sanballat and Tobiah down there in the valley running their mouth about the man of God. So this is not about Nehemiah about all of those guys up on the wall. And you know what? Before you get this, you get this. I'm, I'm not trying to miss, Pastor Williams, but there's a lot of guys that want this. Oh, just, you just let Pastor give me the mic and you'll see something. Well, what about if pastor gives you this? Can we see something then? Well, I don't know how to do that. Well, come along anyway. Amen. Every skilled laborer needs a little muscle just to help. 
And so they find themselves in this predicament. They need to accomplish this task. And they are faced again with opposition. But Nehemiah had a revelation. This is a great work. Amen. This is a great, great work. Verse 9 of chapter 6. For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. He didn't ask for God to strike them dead. He didn't ask for God to miraculously rebuild the wall for him. He asked for God to strengthen his hands. Afterward, I came into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Hetabil, who was shut up, and he said, Oh, he was shut up. <laughs> He's not talking about his mouth. It means he was hiding in the house. I'll just leave that right there. You go hide in your house, right? And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us shut the doors of the temple for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night they will come to slay thee. And I said, here's Nehemiah's response. You want me to go hide, right? And Nehemiah said, should such a man as I flee? Remember, flight or fight? He said, I'm not running. And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. I will not hide. I will not cower. I will not. Verse 12. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that pronounced this prophecy against me. For who? These same two jokers, Tobiah and Sandalit, had hired him. Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid. You better watch out for those hireling preachers. You better watch out for people that are trying to speak into your life things that are contrary to what the man of God has already spoken into your life. What is their interest in going against the word of God in your life? There's usually some money attached to it somewhere. Verse 14, my God, think upon <laughs> Tobiah and Sanballat according to these their works. And on the prophetess Noadiah, the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. 52 days they rebuilt the entire wall of the city of Jerusalem. I don't think a professional contractor could put this building up in 52 days. How did they get that done in 52 days? 
Verse 16 gives us the key. And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. So what was the whole key? Well, They were ready for a fight. But they weren't just ready for a fight. They had their tool in their hand. <laughs> Chapter 4 tells us that every man had his sword girt upon him and his tool in his hand. And some of them had a sword in one hand and a tool in the other hand. And they were ready to accomplish the task. They were ready. They were ready. Brother Leo, why do we keep driving the buses? Why do we keep driving the vans? Why do we keep bringing people to church? Because we're doing a great work. Amen. We're doing a great work. Amen. You're doing a great work, brother. Brother Donnelly, you keep teaching those Bible studies because you're doing a great work. People may not see it. People may not applaud it. People may not even care, but it's a great work. Amen. It's a great work. Amen, Brother John, you're working with the young people. It's a great work. I work with young people. Some days it's a frustrating work, but it's a great work. And they're great young people, and they're going to do great things. It's a great work. Amen. I'm telling you, you, you go out street ministry on Friday nights, what are you doing? You're strapping on your sword. You're grabbing your trowel and you're saying, we are going to build this wall. We are going to build this wall. We are going to do this work. God is going to help us. It is a great work. It is a time for revival. Our nation is in a state of chaos and crisis. And the church should not be hiding somewhere in the corner. But we should be leading the charge. Doing the work of the kingdom of God in our cities. Who else is going to do it? Who else has the anointing to do the work? The Baptists aren't going to be out there praying them through to the Holy Ghost. The Baptists aren't going to be out there teaching them one God. And I know some Baptist people, they're great people. But they don't have the truth. And we have a great task. And we have a great responsibility. And the awesome thing is we have great tools to accomplish that. We have great power. God has empowered his people to do the work. 52 days. We should step back at times and say, man, how did that happen? Oh, we worked. We organized. We we uh, had the VIP room, and we did all the things, and we greeted all the visitors. But in the end, what happened? God began to work for Nehemiah. God began to do what Nehemiah could not do. God began to do what the men on the wall could not do. He began to just, I don't even know how that happened. But that work was wrought. At the end of the day what I love about your pastor. 
when this church is running 2,500 people, he's going to say, God did it. Amen. He's going to say, God did it. God strengthened our hands to the work. God empowered us to do the work. Amen. If the musicians would come. And please, if you're at home watching tonight, I'm not castigating anybody for not being here. <laughs> but somewhere in all of this that's going on, you better tie in and tag in and find your place to do the work that God has called you to do. Quit walking around in fear and terror and discouragement, believing that everything is just going to, you know what, you, you could get the coronavirus at Walmart, but I'm sure a lot of us went to Walmart this week. So why not go ahead and come to the house of God? Oh. oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're, you're target people, huh? <laughs> Publix. Hey, I, I thank God. I, I say this in all sincerity. I thank God. My wife hates to shop. Thank you, Jesus. We didn't... We were shut down for six weeks. We didn't miss anything. Seriously. Like, oh, the mall's closed? We wouldn't have been there anyways. You know where we were, though? We were at the house of God. Every service, every time the doors were open, every prayer meeting. Outreach. It's a great work. Amen. Cleaning the bathrooms is a great work. I saw the sisters earlier sanitizing the doors and doing all of that stuff. It's a great work to keep the house of God open so that people can come in here and hear the preaching of the word of God. It's a great work. Don't let the devil discourage you in what you're doing. It might seem like... It's insignificant, but anything you do in the kingdom of God has great significance. It is great work. It is, it is the call and the, and the vocation of God on your life. Well, nobody sees me do it, Brother Hicks. That's okay. It's a great work. One of my great frustrations is an altar call, Pastor Williams, and there's people in the church back there, and there's people down here who need the Holy Ghost. Altar working is a great work. Amen. Altar working is a great work. Well, I, unfortunately, I've seen this. Well, I, I wasn't the one preaching tonight, so I'm, 
or sit in the back and play on my phone. That's not a great work. <laughs> Amen. Young men that are called, no matter who's in this pulpit, when there's a hungry soul in this altar, we should be down here doing, working, building. I was thinking about this before church. I really feel like, Pastor Williams, your ministry here is a Nehemiah ministry. temple was built there was a people but there was chaos and in the, the opening part of Nehemiah it says that their enemies were cast down because there was a man sent to look after the welfare of the people of God so God sent you in Nehemiah and he's equipped you, and he's given you the weapons, and he's given you the tools. How many hours and hours and hours have you poured into your life training and equipping and teaching so that you can do what God's called you to do? It's a great work. two men in the history of Great Britain. Two men who were called upon to lead their people. And uh, first one was Neville Chamberlain. How many of you have ever heard of him? what I thought. A couple of hands went up. The other one was Winston Churchill. Has anybody ever heard of Winston Churchill? I'm going to read before we close speeches made by both those men in the onset of World War II. As Hitler was becoming more and more powerful, Prime Minister of Great Britain at the time was Neville Chamberlain. And he was a pacifist. He was uh, an appeaser. And he, he sought to find peace through diplomatic means, even if it meant throwing other countries to the dogs. So upon his return from Germany, this is what Mr. Chamberlain said. The settlement of the Czechoslovakian problem, which has now been achieved, is in my view only the prelude to a larger settlement in which Europe may find peace. What was the settlement of the Czechoslovakian issue? They gave Czechoslovakia to Germany. Here, you can have their country. Just leave us alone. That never works. 
This morning I had another talk with the German Chancellor, Herr Hitler, and here is the paper which bears his name upon it, as well as mine. Some of you perhaps have already heard what it contains, but I would just like to read it to you. We regard, this is a quotation within the quotation, we regard the agreement signed last night and the Anglo-German naval agreement as symbolic of the desire of our peoples never to go to war with one another again. My good friends, for the second time in our history, a British prime minister has returned from Germany bringing peace with honor. I believe it is peace for our time. Six weeks later, Hitler invaded Poland. Rolled through Poland in like three weeks. Then France. And then finally began the Battle of Britain. Not only did Mr. Chamberlain put his career into a death spiral, but he greatly handicapped his country in dealing with those powers. Mr. Churchill had a little different approach. This was his speech. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the street. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. We shall never surrender. I am not backing down from the call of God in my life. I refuse. I refuse to be intimidated by Sanballat and Tobiah. You know what? I've got a work to do, but I'm going to strap on the sword, and I'm going to go ahead, and I'm just going to start moving some stones and moving some mortar. Is there anybody that would commit tonight? We're never going to surrender. We're never going to back down. We have a great work to do. Can anybody see the vision of the work that needs to be done? Take a look around you at Fort Myers. The people. The people. Pastor Williams, how many people are in Lee County? 1.6 million this is a great church it's a good sized church amen but there's 1.6 million people that need a city of refuge that need this wall to be built that need a place that is secure that need a they need a place where the word of God can be preached. And every person in this room tonight is a part of the process of building, of doing that work. Can we lift up our hands?
God, strengthen our hands. Can you pray with me? Strengthen my hands, God. <laughs> Give me clarity of thought. Give me understanding of my purpose. But God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands to do the work. Oh, God. <laughs> 